Welcome back to the iFloat Radio Podcast, everybody. I'm sitting here. It's a beautiful day here in, in Westport, Connecticut. We're at iFloat. And I am here with Dominique McQuaid, and she's our, our guest. And we're going to talk a little bit about her journey here at iFloat in terms of pain, body pain, and, and other things. Before that, I will give a shout out to the mentalartsnetwork.com, which is one of our sponsors of the podcast. You can log on to that website and learn about the classes that Mental Arts offers, largely based on John C. Lilly's work on programming and metaprogramming for people to improve communication, to identify patterns that don't serve them well and modify those and to improve uh, their business as well. So there are classes for individuals uh, and for businesses there. So check out mentalartsnetwork.com. And Dominique, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Hello. I, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. I asked you to be on the podcast because we were talking earlier today about some of the changes that you've been experiencing since coming here uh, about three or four months ago. It's been since you arrived. But talk a little bit about how you got here and why you came here initially. Okay. I um I've been experiencing chronic pain for over twelve years. Been to multiple doctors, multiple um, uh, other holistic type treatments, and um, they eventually put me in a category of fibromyalgia, which is not much of a diagnosis at times. It is a true diagnosis, though. But um, I was in chronic pain. I would, and I'm very, I'm middle age, <laughs> so to me, I'm I'm very young, and I was feeling extremely um, old and decrepit, and just not where I should be in life. And um, I was dealing also with back pain that became a reality, and. Um, I had back surgery, and after surgery, I was in constant pain, and um, I did not want to rely on uh, medications, and um, I was trying to look for holistic options, and so I went to UB, University of Bridgeport, and they have an acupuncture uh, program that is done by the students with guidance of a te- uh, doctor or a teacher professor. And um, I had gone to their um, dispensary to buy some supplements and I found this brochure on their, their um, information board on flotation. I float in here in Westport. And my eyes went right to it, and I I opened it up, and I read it, and it was everything that I was looking for, and I felt that as though I needed, and I was basically led here, um, and it's been a wonderful experience. My fibromyalgia has uh, 
gone in remission, I would guess. Um, I'm not, I'm body pain free. Uh, I still have pain in my back, but that's a surgical situation. Um, but mentally I've, I've also have expanded my, my mind. And, um, this might be harder to explain, um, from, from my point of view, but, um, I am growing and, um, things are coming to light for me. So what was in just so people, Mm -hmm. let's talk about your, um, your first float experience. What was that like for you? My first float experience was a little strange. Um, I had never, um, been in a floating situation. So I got in there and I was kind of fighting it. I, um, kind of looked, was like a fish out of water. <laughs> um, actually you were a fish, you were a fish in water. <laughs> I was a, like you were out of water. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> I was kind of flapping around trying to get comfortable, trying to relax. And, um, I finally took, it took about 10 minutes for me to really just kind of sink into it, let go. Um, and, and for my first meditation, all I was concentrating on was really just my breathing so that I could relax in the water and enjoy the benefits of Epsom salt. And, um, and I did, I was able to do that and, um, it, it became enjoyable. And I think one of the things that you've, and so, and so let's, let's, let's stop, stop for a moment. Cause you talked before about like the, the, the mental benefits. Talk a little bit about that. Um, I was drawn to take, drawn by my, by my own self. I wasn't forced, but I was drawn to take the course, um, the introduction to rewrite. Okay. So let me, let me stop. Okay. Because some people who are listening to this might not really understand okay. what that is. And I actually, I did a podcast, as I mentioned recently with this guy, Paul, who's taken one of the mental arts course, or actually he's taken a bunch of them in, in and then you have as well. But one of the things that that I think I talked to you about the first time you came out of floating was was the mind-body connection. Because floating is ultimately more about the mind and the nervous system than about the, the, the actual like physical body. I mean, the, 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 and the mind is part of the body, but it, it's more like that it's about the mind and the body benefits than, than the other way around. And so when people talk about like chronic pain, they talk about like chronic symptoms and stuff, I always talk to them about the mind-body connection. So I think maybe we talked a little bit about that. And I said, you know, like, what are there other places, like in terms of your mind, where there's frustration that could be contributing to, like, chronic pain, and the, particularly the fibromyalgia part of what was going on? And I think you were – it was interesting because you were, like, really open and you were like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked about that yes. and I, I explained that, that there, were, there were classes because IFLO is part of this Association of Mental Arts – uh, network and we offer classes that are at least the introductory classes are, are largely based out of John Lilly's work um, and in the introductory class there's a uh, which which you'll talk about but the people it's a two-day class usually on the weekends and for the most of the weekend people actually start with some goal that they want to make real and then they actually program in a bunch of uh, it's actually 11 
pieces of a neural program to make that goal real. And in the process, they're seeing things about themselves. For example, they're seeing their charisma and what is it, how is it that they're approaching people and how can that be modified to, to achieve their goal? And so you, you took that probably about like three or four weeks into starting the flow session. Yes. And the other thing that I'll add to people who are listening is that you, you did our, our 12 week research program. So we, we have this 12 week program that's for people who have chronic symptoms like yourself whether it's it's something on the lines of like anxiety, depression, or something the lines of along the lines of chronic pain, but people participate in that program to assess how the floating is affecting them, and they agree to fill out surveys before and after, and we do blood pressure and heart rate before and after, and and then there's you get a good rate for doing it. You commit to doing it for twelve weeks, so you've been doing that, and you took the introduction to yes. rewriting. So you've, You've been doing a lot, and yes. and so given that, and I laid that foundation for people. What was what was that class like for you? It was very very enlightening. <laughs> I actually learned quite a bit about myself, and um, I had picked one goal because that's what it was about. Just pick one goal and go through the process, and it was much harder than I was expecting, and. Um, my goal was to have better communication with my husband. Or and actually it was to communicate with your husband. Yes, yes, to communicate with my husband. Um, through, through my depression, um, and people who suffer from depression would, would understand this, is that you disconnect from the world. You, you disconnect from your friends, you disconnect from your loved ones, and you disconnect from the world in general because you you just can't handle it. It's it's a very hard thing. And and if you haven't suffered from depression, um it it's very difficult to explain. But those that have suffered from depression totally understand what I'm saying. So by doing the class, you know, I saw myself one way and actually um, I wasn't that way. Um, so I, who, who you, what you thought you were transmitting out into the world mm -hmm. wasn't actually what you were transmitting out into the world. That's correct. Yeah. And... I was called out on it and uh, by a facilitator, and I did not deny it. He was absolutely correct. I was the angry child and angry at the world, and I have been angry, and I have been resentful because of my depression has uh, limited me to... Um, an inactive lifestyle, which I was used to prior to the pain and the depression. I think that, and just to lay more of a foundation, and I, and I don't think I don't think that was actually you that term that you're an angry child as much as that what was what was pointed out to you is where it is that you you transmit this frustration and this this pointed frustration mm -hmm. of like of like there's this kind of like pointedness to the to the, you call it anger frustration whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. And that was pointed out, and, and you were able to see it because it would come out like in different ways. 
Yes. And uh, the other point to to lay in for people is this idea of like like what what depression is because the depression is a it's a reaction. It's a uh, sometimes it comes in the form of of shutting down. Other times it comes in the form of, of withdrawal. It can it can be different things, but it is it is largely a kind of uh, there's there's this whole idea of like freeze, uh, fight or flight, and I think people often who are depressed are either fleeing like running away or they're freezing. Mm-hmm. They're not they're they're shutting down, and but the question is always like well why is it that that's taking place? Why is a person reacting in that way? And what John Lilly wrote about, what we teach about, is that there are what we refer to as self-meta programs, which are could be cons- talked about as beliefs or beliefs about reality that, that kids form when we're young, because that's actually, when we're born, we don't actually know what this place is that we're born into. We have to figure out that there's this mom and there's this dad and they're safe and there's fire is dangerous and electrical sockets are dangerous and mm-hmm. don't walk into walls. It's easier to walk through doors. But you see kids figuring that out when they're really young. And if there is a belief operating from early on that doesn't match reality, it will result in reactions that also don't match reality. And so there, there are times when people are, are reacting in a they're freezing or they're fleeing or they're fighting and, it, and it's about things that, that don't, don't make any sense. And, um, but it seems as though what you saw, and I think maybe what I observed was what you found so helpful was you were able to see what you were doing in the moment. Yes, of course. Yes. And, and that, and, and, and it was, it was pointed back at you, but not in like a judgmental way. No, no, I never felt judged at all. No, it was nice to hear the truth. That's what it was nice to hear. It was nice to have somebody tell me the truth. It is nice when people tell us the truth. Yes. And we can feel our temperature raise like when it happens, but then it's also a relief. It's like, yes. wow, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me that. Exactly. <laughs> to give me the right answer or, you know, or give me a direction to go in. We do. And this is just how the mind is structured is that unconsciously people are trying to get people to agree with them to, to not be honest about things. Like it's like we're, we, we're trying to con people and get them to agree with us to like on, on this stuff, but when somebody says, "Hey, you know that's not real," it's it's at first kind of shocking, and then it's a relief because it's like, "Wow, like thank God, like somebody finally called me out on my con." Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and I think I all my life I've I have lived a con, and um, and it was based from my probably early childhood. I know it is. I know that's the answer, and. I would have to say that now I'm doing a rewrite um, that I decided that I needed to do. And it is, it is bringing up memories and thoughts. And, um, and I'm writing them down and I'm, you know, I got through my age three, <laughs> which I told originally, I told him, I said, I don't have memories from age three, but they did come to me. They actually really did come to me. Talk uh, about what's happening like in sleep, when you're sleeping and stuff. I think that's interesting. Okay, well, 
My biggest problem I'm having is that I really require eight hours of undisturbed sleep for my health. And um, everything's coming to me after I go to sleep. So I go to sleep without any problems. And I tend to wake up about 2.30, 3 o'clock. And I find myself unable to go back to sleep because all these thoughts are coming to me in the middle of the night. And there's been times I have gotten up and I started my rewrite at 4 a.m. in the morning, uh, Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to stop for a second for mm-hmm. because there, there are going to be people listening to this that don't, don't understand. Mm-hmm. So what we what we have is this this introduction to the art of rewriting, rewriting because it's about neural programming. So it's like re, rewriting a neural program. So there's the introduction class which you took and you have that introductory experience and you're, you're able to see like, wow, this, this is this is pretty pretty helpful. And what happens in the second part, which is the art of rewriting or the rewrite, that is an experience where people look at their early memories from early in life. And what that does is it gets them to look at the landscape of what they believe to be real during those first three to four years of life. And then once they see something that they believe to be real and they're able to see the pieces of it, then they can actually have a place to countermand it with a, a neural program that works better. And you're in the, the, the stage of actually looking at memories. And oftentimes when people start, they'll say things like, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember anything from when I was a kid. <clears throat> but as they float on it or as they direct more energy towards it, what happens is they do remember. And that's really interesting in terms of what's happening for yes. you <laughs> because what's taking place is as you sleep and as you go into those lower brainwave states, which are associated with like early development, you, these memories are coming up for you. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to take a nap during the day, <laughs> but they are coming to me and it's, it's they're coming to me at a rapid uh, pace. And um, it's very, very intriguing. It is intriguing. It's it's reminds me of dream analysis because when I first started recording my dreams, mm-hmm. I was learning about shamanic dream work years ago. At first, I had a hard time remembering them. Like I would always know that I had dreams because I've always mm-hmm. just been a big night dreamer. I guess we all are, but I I always would kind of remember facets of them. But then as I began to write them down more and more, it's like it strengthens a muscle. And all of a sudden, it's like easier and easier to pull out the information. Mm-hmm. The way that Lily talks about it is like, he talks about it in terms of like storage, actual like file storage. And as we direct more energy into it, it's almost like we're activating other neural programs that can go in and pull out the memories and the information that's required in order to, to make something happen. So that, that's, that's great that, that that's taking place for you. Yes, it is. And anything else that you'd like to add in terms of your experiences here that you'd like anybody to know? Um, I would say I've had an excellent experience here in the last 12 weeks. It's the first time I've made a commitment uh, longer than 12 weeks other than to my husband. <laughs> and, I, and to tell you the truth, my husband and I have really... Um, have been able to communicate better since I took that class, the first class. I'm much more conscious of um, 
my my need to listen to him and not interrupt him and and so forth but um we are able I'm able to speak to him honestly now and and we talk and our communication's much much better than it had been um which is why I decided to go on and take the next class because I felt as though for years I've been trying to get rid of some memories or some um, some problems or issues that arrive, you know, that were instilled in me. And um, I think this is the actually, this is actually going to work because I feel it working. And um, the facilitators have been great. They are just, they're almost, I almost feel like family to me, even though, <laughs> so it's a great place and I would highly recommend it to um, anyone and everyone. Thanks, I appreciate that. And for those listening, you can come to iFloat here in Westport, Connecticut. You can read more about us at ifloatct.com. You can also book appointments there and you can learn about the classes that we offer both on that website and also on the mentalartsnetwork.com website. So we're gonna add uh, this other piece in here so if Donovan could, could put it in, but uh, what, we're, what we're talking about here is the this idea of belief and what was asked of you by your your rewrite facilitator Jenny was what, how do you see neural programming uh, different from religion you know and, and, and do you see the difference or and, and does it bother you and uh, talk talk a little bit a little bit about what what you just were telling me. Um, I was telling David that um, I came from a very fundamental uh, Christian background um, at a young age. So the, the foundation is, is instilled in there, but I don't necessarily believe in um, everything written in the Bible. And... Um, I would probably be cast out by my own family by saying that, that, you know, I, you can't pick and choose what's in the Bible that fits for you. But I believe God is all inclusive and he, um, would include everybody. Um, and, um, I find that doing this is not going to disturb my faith. Because my faith is in my heart. It's not in a church. It's not in a priest. It's not in a minister. It's in my heart. And I have a relationship with my God between me and him. And going about programming to me is not taking that away by any means. Yeah, it brings up the, the difference between religious belief and and beliefs in real mm-hmm. and what, the reason we call them beliefs in real is because they're beliefs that form when kids are really young about like like what is a chair mm-hmm. what does it mean and, and what is a smile and what does it mean and these very fundamental instructions that we program into our minds in order to navigate reality mm-hmm. and religious beliefs are different they they develop later than those first like three or four years of life. Kids don't, little babies don't 
or toddlers don't have much of a sense of of the concept of of God and the the spiritual world in terms of how to understand that. But they do understand like what a what a dog is, this big furry thing, and they yes. understand that they should look both ways before crossing the road or that they should hold on to mom and dad's hand when they're walking down the street and things like that because those are just fundamental instructional ideas. But religious beliefs are are more complex and they develop later. And so when we're talking about addressing what a person believes to be real, the perhaps what they believe about religion might pop up at the beginning. But really what's going on is it's something much deeper. It's much more basic than what a person believes about religion. And because all humans are our biocomputers, our, mm-hmm. our brains operate in this, this hierarchical fashion of, of how our beliefs of influence or control our emotions and feelings, which control our logic. And that's why advertisers, whether you're in Africa or Asia or the United States, all advertisers are directing their messages at the emotional level because our emotions control our logic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so when, when they can communicate with us emotionally and we say, unconsciously emotionally yes to that thing or that commercial or that image then we logically create reasons to buy something and so you are in the process of looking mm-hmm. at what you believe to be real but what can come up or what does come up mm-hmm. is, is okay what is it yes. what is what are my beliefs and how do i view religion and, and so it was important for her to ask you that question yes well and the other thing to that component is that my father was a minister so I do remember early on the at three and four and five um, what it was like. Um, and maybe I didn't understand um, totally what Christianity or meant or what the Bible scriptures meant or any of that. But I knew I had to sit up straight in church and I had to, um, you know, look alive and not lay down and go to sleep. <laughs> and, and I knew, you know, I would get a paddle if I did. And so, yes, they, I probably got it a lot sooner than most people did because my parents were, my father was a minister and my mother was the wife of a minister. I could see how your experience which is, which is unique because most people haven't been born into a minister family, but I could see how that experience would influence how you perceive anything that's related to working on oneself or even like spirituality. Because mm-hmm. even like when you talk about like stand up, sit up straight, I could even hear a bit of tension in your voice as you talked about that. And it's almost, there's almost a, a punitive sentiment in there of like, mm-hmm. If I do this or I don't do this, then I'll get punished. Uh, and so even what's interesting, and this is just kind of mm-hmm. coming up to, into my mind as we talk, you know, could it be possibly that even the idea of remembering these things is, is, is hard because it's like, well, if I remember, if I talk about this, will I get punished? You know, this is like unconscious. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's, it's very real. It's very, very real, even at my age. And this is, we're going back 50 years. Um, it still haunts me. The interesting thing too, and I talked about this with you before you went into Flow Today, 
that you've been experiencing, you've had a lot of pain. And then just last week, you, one of the, this new doctor you went to gave you a back brace, which actually has become a really effective tool for a, like when you, now that you have the back brace, you're not experiencing pain and you were at a pretty high pain threshold. So that's, that's like huge. huge. Whereas these doctors before never gave it to you. And again, as I said, I don't, I don't believe in like magic and mm-hmm. things like that, but, but there is something about how when we change things within ourselves, other things sometimes happen. There's, there's this connectedness somehow. But as we talk about this and I talk about, hmm, I'm hearing this kind of, this kind of punishment, fear of punishment in your voice. And as I hear earlier about like how these memories are coming forth and how like you, even your body's like responding to like these memories I find it interesting that as you've begun this process of, of looking deeply in yourself and through this communication process, that you found that in some ways, and it's just one way of looking at it, that you were experiencing punishment through the pain. And last week, you got a tool to at least reduce that punishing pain quite a bit until you find a permanent yes. solution. So I'm just... And I, again, I don't say that's necessarily how it is. I just find it interesting that as we're having this conversation, we're having it before, and you're starting to delve into the what you believe to be real, that this tool presented itself somehow. Yes. And that's pretty awesome. It was, it was a miracle. <laughs> it was a miracle. To the point at which you went out for cocktails. Yes. I, went. Celebrate <laughs> I did celebrate afterwards. It was, it was, and my girlfriend said, it's so good to have my old friend back, you know, because I was, I was pain free and it felt wonderful. And, um, I actually had gone in my neighbor's pool over the weekend without the brace. Cause I can't wear it in the pool. But I had been doing water walking as a form of exercise and I actually was in the water and doing my walking with the with the neighbors and friends and they're like, how's it feel? I said, it actually hurts. I said, it really does hurt being in the water now. And so, you know, it's just a big difference. And right now, as long as I can wear the brace. I feel like I'm starting to get back to myself and get out, getting out of the, the darkness and, and living life to what, to where I want to be. Yeah. I think, I think that's wonderful. And, and it's one of the things that I am a big proponent of. And in many ways, what iFloat is and other float centers like ours and mental arts is, is really equipping people with tools with which to be able to investigate these things within themselves and get into those those sources of tensions and so forth so that not only mentally but also physically they, they start to experience the world in a way that serves them better. Yes. And, it, and it really is about developing tools that, that they can use. And uh, so it's, it's exciting. It's neat to see, to see you using the tools and to, to see the, the changes. It's, it's, yes. it's awesome. It is. It's, it's very awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you again for, for coming on, on the show. And um, yeah. I appreciate you sharing thank your you. story. Thank you.
This has been a DSCT.TV production.